Have you ever wondered what it's like to sit in on a magazine editorial meeting? Well, this is your chance. You're listening to Salt Lake Speaks, a monthly podcast where our editors, writers, and staff dig deeper into stories, chat with newsmakers, and talk amongst ourselves about arts, culture, food, music, politics, or whatever else might strike our fancy. After all, we are Utah's biggest fans. Hello, this is Mary Brown Maloof, executive editor of Salt Lake Magazine. You're listening to Salt Lake Speaks, the magazine's own podcast. Today we're talking with Blake Spaulding, co-owner of Hell's Backbone Grill, which is uh, located on right on the edge of what we hope will remain Grand Staircase Escalante Monument. I know that Blake and her business partner, Jen Castle, have been working on this book, which is called This Immeasurable Place, and they've been working on it for an immeasurably long time. <laughs> Jen's calling it This Immeasurable <laughs> Weight these days. It's sequel or a companion volume to their first cookbook, which came out some years ago. And uh, if you haven't heard of Hell's Backbone, you haven't been reading the right media because they have been praised and written about in the New York Times, Salt Lake Tribune, Oprah, Wall Street Journal, Sunset Magazine, National Geographic. If you haven't heard of them, you better Google them and you better go there. It's not that far from Salt Lake City. Uh, They uh, have a six acre farm that they produce the vegetables and, and produce in their on their menu and the, what they use in their kitchen. It's altogether remarkable. So I wanted to talk today with Blake because this book, after after all the delays that I know you went through, came out at a remarkably auspicious time because of the recent Trump decision to split Grand Staircase Escalante into a bunch of smaller parcels and eradicate most of Bears Ears National Monument. All those things are still, there's a million lawsuits going on, but it's significant to me that this is a cookbook called This Immeasurable Place, which has to do with the link between food and landscape, food and culture, culture and landscape. At least that's my take. What's yours, Blake? Yeah, it's really, um, I should start by saying that our restaurant is closed for the winter and will reopen March 16th, so we get a little time now to um, rest and also to um, get our book out into the world, launched, as it were. Um, Yeah, so Jen and I conceived of this cookbook about five years ago. We started working on it. And at the time, we were really asking ourselves, what's the story we want to tell? Because when we made With a Measure of Grace, which came out in 2004, we were clear that the story we wanted to tell was about um, the place of a business in a small community. And then I'm Buddhist, and of course, the town we live in when we moved there was predominantly LDS. And so it was very much a story about that. This book, we realized the story that we wanted to tell was kind of about the interplay between our restaurant and the landscape, Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. To, for Jen and I, it's the most majestic, most inspiring landscape we'd ever seen, which is saying a lot because both she and I met because we worked um, as cooks on Grand Canyon River trips. And so um, when we saw what is now our home place for 18 years, Boulder, Utah, we realized like you get to basically 
in this small town, it's almost like living in the Grand Canyon or in some part of it. And so we were very inspired by the landscape and wanted to create food that was of the place and that really um, spoke to the place. Yeah, so then also immeasurable is a is a term that I got on a Buddhist retreat because we were studying the four immeasurable qualities, which is sort of the way it's the qualities to grow in yourself if you want to be a spiritual person. And this um, can be, this is something that works for a person of any spiritual tradition. And so I was, I'd been grappling with what the name for the book would be, and I wanted it to be a little bit um, matchy-matchy with, with a measure of grace. Right. And so I'd been working with the words place and stuff, and then I, it was like a light bulb went off in my head in the middle of retreat, because that's what you do on Buddhist retreat, <laughs> is think about other things. And I was like, oh, this immeasurable place. So it is pretty wild. You know, we tried everything. We wanted the book out three years ago, two years ago, one year ago, six months ago, <laughs> three months ago, one month ago. Everything conspired to ensure that it's release weirdly coincided with the executive order to decimate our um, national monument, cut it by half, and then break it into bits and all of that. And we're devastated, you know, but also we're committed to the long haul and to really fighting for what is right. Right, and fighting for that landscape. Correct. So one thing that's interesting about this book, just to go back to what you were saying, is that uh, each chapter begins with uh, comments or essay by My your teacher. guru, your teacher. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's another interesting thing that, about the book is that, well, it's not really just about cooking. It's about a whole spiritual approach to food and place. And uh, each chapter begins with this sort of meditation. And I th it's unique, it's fascinating. The uh, recipes are almost just part of the narrative more than they are, it's not like a regular cookbook, that's all. I think that the seasonal organization and the spiritual organization, the way that you wove recipes into it, um, I'm sort of curious about how that process went and how you decided which foods went with what, how they went into each section. Thanks, Mary. Yeah, it ended up being a remarkably complex project. So, you know, I guess I always really admire things that appear to be simple, but then you realize as they unfold that there, there's a lot more there. Mm -hmm. And so I asked, my teacher Kent is named Kentrell Lodotai Rinpoche, and he actually has a sangha here in Salt Lake, and he teaches here twice a year. And he and I are quite close. Um, I was his first uh, student in America oh, when really? he arrived. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was, he says. But <laughs> <laughs> and so I asked him, about the four immeasurables and if he could write a little poem about each immeasurable that went that corresponded with each season and then weave in something related to our farm. Right. So with this book what we wanted to do was sort of address the the conundrum that is the more intimate you become with something the vaster it is. And so, you know, whether it's 1.9 million acres of a, of a protected public land, or it's the six acres that's our farm, you know, I wanted to zoom in and out for the right. micro and the macro. And so to talk about how our farm has influenced 
our menu and how the place itself has influenced our menu and then kind of weave it all together with the golden threads of the Buddha Dharma. And so it was, uh, yeah, there was a time this summer I was like, this book is going to kill me. You know, it's too hard. I, you know, but we, but I'm still here. And um, yeah, and it's done and we're really, we're really, really proud of it. We're excited for it. So these all uh, recipes that you serve in the restaurant, all dishes yes. you serve in the restaurant. Yes, exactly. And, and we change what we serve. Right. Depending on what's abundant at the farm. But, right. You know, the idea was to have uh, the recipes reflect the abundance and kind of plethora of the bounty of the farm. And, you know, because we can grow so much food there, even though we're at almost 7,000 feet, you know, in, in any given year, we'll grow between 15 and 25,000 pounds of produce. And um, it's quite an undertaking then, because <laughs> then you have to deal with all that produce, you know. You, and not, it's not like it trickles in. You don't get tidy allotments of a case or two at a time. Right, you know? it's not a mix. All of a sudden it's you have a thousand pounds of cucumbers and you have to deal <laughs> with it. So we've been pickling, you know, since we, the, you know, since we opened the restaurant back in spring of 2000. Well, no, since our first garden. Right. You know, so summer of 2000. Small, yes. And but we opened with gardens and then eventually as our business grew realized we needed a proper farm which is a whole separate enterprise i mean it's not <laughs> like running a restaurant is a simple thing and then you're running a restaurant in the middle of nowhere which makes that more complicated and you're farming i mean it's a huge but small undertaking which goes to your micro macro yeah. idea right yeah exactly um, Tell me more s about some of the people and topics that you've covered in this book. Yeah, so another narrative that we wanted to weave in, when we first arrived in Boulder, Utah at the end of 1999 to start our creation, the town was fairly insular and there was some, uh, you know, hostility. The monument had been designated just three years earlier and there was sort of a little bit of a fear of strangers and so one of the ways that we decided to address that was to try to really be good citizens of our community and the clearest way that I could figure out how uh, I uh, grew up very poor and so I got my first job cooking in a restaurant at the tender age of 11 because um, I wanted food and I wanted to learn how to cook and mostly I wanted money and um, so I was like, you know, I realized that one of the ways we could serve the community or benefit the community would be to um, hire and do sort of a jobs training program for any of Boulder's youth that sincerely wanted to work. And so we kind of bounce back and forth between featuring people who work in our restaurant and have been with us for a long time, and then uh, children who were raised up more or less in our restaurant and who continue to work with us now. And so there are a number of profiles of people who started to work with us when they were like 12, you know, this is a right. right to work state. So with a note from your parents and you as long <laughs> as you don't keep them up late at night, you can, um, children can work. And so 
So a lot of the profiles are sort of about our legacy hellions, as we call <laughs> them, you know, like multiple generations that have worked in the restaurant. So their parents worked there, or a mother works there, and then the kids would come there after school, and eventually they developed an interest in working with us, and then now they still do, and maybe their parents have retired. I remember when you first started, there were a lot of things, events and things that y'all did to to build bridges with the community because you were strangers yeah. in, a, in a place that, as you say, had been insular and a kind of closed community and you had to get a liquor license, <laughs> the first one in the co county, right? No. Was it first? Uh, first one in Boulder. First one in Boulder. Yeah. And that took a lot of goodwill and understanding Trust. from the community, which as you said is primarily LDS, to allow that to, to happen. But there's other regular events down there like the 4th of July parade and things like that that you've done to the ice cream social to bond with the people in the place that you are. Yeah, we, um, you know, we, we knew we were going to be there for the long haul and so we wanted to be you know, good citizens of Planet Boulder. <laughs> Boulder's considered to be the most uh, remote town in the lower 48. And there's only about, you know, 250 year-round residents. And so, you know, we, we put a lot of thought into how to, how to be a positive influence. Our name, Hell's Backbone Grill, is actually named after a very famous bridge in the area, a bridge that was put in in the 1920s, I believe, by the Army Civilian Corps, right. which created the first road in and out of Boulder. Prior to that, it was kind of a land island, and you could only get there on foot or horseback. And so it seemed like an apt metaphor for our business. And so our <laughs> book opens with a really majestic image of Hell's Backbone Bridge, and you can see the monument out in the distance. And so that was kind of the idea was how do we be um, good people in this community while simultaneously having a business that, you know, at, at least sustains us and whoever works for us. And then that nourishes the people who come. So we see our restaurant kind of as like a warm hearth. And so our work is to help people get, you know, as they enter into a genuine wilderness experience and then as they exit. So we see our hearth as a transition point, you know, the figurative mm -hmm. hearth that is our restaurant. You know, we wanted it to be glowing and bright and warm and welcoming and friendly and with, you know, very love-saturated food. <laughs> so that people, because when people are entering, both Jen and I worked in the Grand Canyon, as I mentioned earlier, and, you know, there's a tenderness around people's transformational experience that naturally occurs as they go in and come out of a wilderness experience. It's kind of a sacred moment in a certain way. Right. And so we wanted to make food that spoke to that and that was nourishing, you know, on, on the literal and figurative or metaphorical kind of levels. And, and so we've put a lot of thought into sort of our philosophy and what works for us and what doesn't because, you know, we could do fancy food that was like arty or something, but it wouldn't address the fundamental need for sort of a, a warmth and a kind of ease, uh, I don't know how to say it exactly, but like something that, 
something that is soul satisfying. Right, not you're sustaining the soul and not just the body, and yeah. you're not, it's, it nourishes in, in a 360 degree kind of way, right? Yeah, and both Jen and I also had traveled a lot before we finally settled down in our lives in Boulder. And, you know, one of the things that really both of us noticed and as we were traveling separately in our life path is just how, like, if you're in Italy, you would never have Spanish ham. Right. You know, you're only going to have <laughs> Italian ham. And if you're in uh, Spain, you're not going to have French jam. You're only right. going to have Spanish jam. And so we wanted to, and I was, I was really struck by that, you know, that you're literally taking a place into your body and making it part of your body. It's a very intimate thing, eating, actually. Oh, yes. You know, and so then for me, I think, and Jen, it was really clear that having, you know, growing some food right there was an imperative because we wanted people to leave with the place mixed into, into their, their whole body, into their cells. <laughs> cells so on a cellular psyche. level to viscerally have them experience the place. Right. And so that's why the farm. Well, that kind of authenticity and sense of place has been um, coming along slowly in the United States. I mean, everybody knows about the eat local movement yeah. and all that kind of stuff, and the, and it, and it's all great, but it seldom gets as specific as as yours does. I mean, I guess Blue Hill Farm and places like that are doing the really direct farm to table, but uh, and for us, it was more like monument to table, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> I I haven't really said that too much, but it was really like, how do we get this place under people's skin? We want people to love this place. And so then when we conceived of our book five years ago, it was really like we're going to write a love letter to Grand Staircase. And at that time, of course, it seemed like, you know, after all these years that it was wholly safe and entirely stable. Right. And we wouldn't have really ever imagined that we, it would be facing the assault and attack that it's currently under. And there's a lot of misinformation out there, you know, that the locals are against the monument. And that's just, you know, there's a few loud locals that are against the monument. But, you know, in our county, Garfield County only has 5,000 people in it, and it's 5,000 square miles. It's the size of Delaware. Right. And so, yeah, there's a few locals that are against the monument, but in the scale of, like, the people that visit and love the place, you know, these are, the, these are public lands that belong to all Americans, not just Utahns. You know, so there's a handful of really vocal people that resent the designation. And anyway, our kind of express goal with this book was to really show people what Grand Staircase is and how our business functions on the edge of it. It's a very wild place. It is a very wild place. so it's place. been a pretty wild experience trying to have a business there. Well, right. <laughs> I mean, just getting stuff delivered that you can't grow and all those kinds of things, it's it's... Because it's out there. It it's is out, out there. there. Yeah. It's out there. Um, like I say, if, if you haven't been, <coughs> you, sh you should definitely get down to Hell's Backbone and to Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. The book, to me, is uh, I'm definitely pro-monument. And I think that the, the phrase you use, love letter to the monument, and um, tying it together with one of the most intimate human activities, which is eating, 
and nourishing and eating together and is 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 brilliant. I just want to encourage everybody to go buy the book <laughs> and then you'll understand perhaps part of why this monument and wild places are so important for all of us. And um, and you'll also get some great recipes too. Genchiladas, which have been, I know, on the menu a long time, and they're fantastic. They're named after Jen. My they're named after Jen. Who grew up in New Mexico. Right. The smashed sage potato pancakes, which are amazing. I think I've eaten most of the things in this book myself. <laughs> so um, uh, between the two of them, you can you can recreate, but you can, but you really should go down and experience food in the place it comes from, and uh, made by the culture that that inhabits that place. We're excited. It feels really joyful to, you know, uh, get this immeasurable place out into the world. And, you know, <laughs> it feels like a good antidote for my grief yes, uh, it, around it, it being disemboweled. I'm like, it's a love letter. It's I a good <laughs> thing. It's a joyful thing that we're putting out there that's, yeah. that's canceling out some of the misinformation and negativity. Um, yeah, I, I want to sort of take it to bed with me and cuddle <laughs> it. That's <laughs> sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you can find out, read more about uh, Blake and Jen's book, This Immeasurable Place, and get the details about where you can meet them and where you can buy the book um, at saltlakemagazine.com and uh, listen to the podcast and listen to J Blake speak at um, saltlakemagazine.com slash podcast. So stay tuned and listen up. <laughs> <laughs> Love the place you're in. <laughs> <laughs>